0: Welcome, GBC Church family. Uh, Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. This will be our last lesson in Ecclesiastes. We finished the book. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. And it's kind of a review of everything we've learned these past uh, several months as we've been going through this book. Uh, Just for those of you who know, next week on Wednesday night's Uh, We're meeting on Wednesday nights now physically, so people are coming out for the Bible study. Um, So we're not going to be having a study posted online because we're going through a video series. But once we uh, finish up the video series, then we'll uh, start again posting the uh, videos for the Wednesday night Bible study. But I just wanted to give you a heads up if you're not here coming to our church, so you'll know that when you don't see things posted, you'll know why. (laughs) But let's look at our text tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we'll be reading through the verse 1 through 14, and then we will have a word of prayer, and we'll look at our study. Tonight's um, lesson is entitled, What Have We Learned? What Have We Learned? Beginning in verse 1, Solomon writes, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, the desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered, at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God, who gave it. Verse eight, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity, because, or besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray tonight that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds as we uh, embrace this study through the end of Ecclesiastes, as we go through chapter 12, and kind of a summary of what we've learned through this book and so Lord we pray continue to pray for our country that you'd restore order be with those who are on the front lines and father we pray that you would um, just uh, give our leaders wisdom during these times we ask that you bless your word to our hearts to our lives help it apply help us apply it to our lives we thank you for this study tonight we ask that you bless it in Jesus name amen amen well We've been in the uh, book of Ecclesiastes now for 19 studies, 19 studies, and uh, when we look over the, the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that we've learned at least, I'm going to sum it up with three, three things, three important things, and hopefully you've downloaded your outline, you have it there before you. First of all, we need to remember that we've learned to remember our relationship to God. You notice the first word in this text is remember. It will help us to understand, if we understand what that word means. Uh, The Hebrew word is used 235 times in the Old Testament. It's used in Genesis chapter 30 verse 22 where it says God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. It also is used in Exodus chapter two verse 24 it says, so God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Or in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19, it says, the Lord remembered Hannah concerning the birth of Samuel. So this isn't just a casual remembrance. There's some intimacy involved here. Or Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, it says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you. And in Deuteronomy 8, 18, we're commanded, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. See, the text shows us here that there are are four reasons why it's important to remember our relationship with God. And in the world we live in today, sometimes that's hard, that's difficult. You know, we get so inundated with all the the, the, the stuff from the world and constantly bombarding us each and every day. It's easy to forget. Wait a minute, we have a relationship with our God and creator. How does that play into this? So many times we go off on our own and we do our own thing and God wants us to remember our creator and that's the first thing here. We want to remember him. The first reason is because he is our creator. Look at what he says. Remember also your creator in the days of your, your youth. There's no more fundamental reason that we should remember God than the simple fact that he created us. He made us. He knows us better than anybody. We should never lose sight of that. We should never lose sight of the fact that, you know what? God created us. Uh, We owe him our best. He made us to glorify him with everything we have within us. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We need to be reminded that we are called to worship and bow down and kneel before God, our creator, our maker. Or in Psalm 100, verses 1 to 5, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give him thanks. Bless his name, it says. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. See, we should have a reason to remember the Lord. We should be rejoicing in our heart before the Lord because he created us. Revelation chapter four, verse 11 says, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? It continues. He says, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. See, we owe everything that we see around us to one individual, and that is God. He is the creator. We owe him everything. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Remember the Lord, great and awesome. See, our response to God should be that we relate everything that we do in our life to our personal relationship with him. Everything. And so so many times it's easy to forget that. And we go off on our own. So to remember our relationship to God, first of all, because he's our creator. But secondly, look at what he says in verses one to six. He says, because difficult times will come. Because difficult times will come. See, these times will limit our ability to serve him if we do not remember him in our relationship with him. When God is... Neglected or when God is ignored Basically You lose any capacity To have any kind of joy in your old age Look at what it says in verse 2 It says The end of verse 1 Before the evil days come and the years draw near Of which you will say I have no pleasure in them It has the idea of getting old Getting older Verse 2 Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars Are darkened and the clouds Return After the rain. What's he saying? He says there's a process in life. I mean you may want to stay young. You may want to try to look young. But eventually you're going to look old. We're all going to grow old. But look at what it says in verse 2. Or verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men are bent. What in the world is he talking about? What's he talking about here? Well we know from other scriptures, this is kind of a Hebrew poetry. It's a parallelism. It says, When the keepers of the house tremble, what is that? That's the arms. The arms. When the arms grow weak. It also says there, And the strong men are bent. What are the strong men? The strong men are legs, the legs of men. They're going to grow weak. Psalm 147, verse 10, it says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of men. What he's pointing out is this is that parallelism. He's relating horse to a man and strength to legs. And so it's hard sometimes to think of ourselves as old. I don't think we ever think of ourselves as being old. We don't like to think that we're old. Uh, Just last week, I think I mentioned to some folks. Now, if you're older, you know, if you're, if you're 55 and up with this virus thing, you want to be careful. And it dawned on me as I was saying those words, wait a minute. That's you. You're 60 years old. I mean, I can remember when 40 years old seemed old. Now you had another 20 years. Wonder what would it be like when you're 80? It's hard to think of ourselves as old. We don't like to think of ourselves as old. The body doesn't work as well as it did when it was younger and you can look at this passage and you can look at it and be depressed or you can look at it and say you know what it's just stating a fact it's just telling us that we're all getting older and we're commanded to remember our creator because it's only going to get worse It's only gonna get worse. Look at what else he says. And the grinders cease because they are few. You got it, the grinders, guess what that is? That's the teeth. He's drawing an illustration here. He's saying, you know what, when your arms grow weak and your legs grow weak and your your, your grinders, your teeth start to fall out. And then it says, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. You got it, your eyesight's gonna go too. I mean, it's a grim outlook. Genesis 27.1, it says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. That's why we know he's relating this to eyesight. Or in Genesis chapter 48, verse 10, it says, now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Solomon wants us to remember, hey, when these things start to happen, you want to remember your creator in the days of your youth. What will it be like when you are older, when things don't work properly, when difficult times come, because they will come? A lot of the the people who are miserable when they're old, they're doing just the opposite. They're not remembering their creator. They paved their own highway. They did it their way, and now they're on their own. See, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, I mean, all you gotta do is get up in the morning and look in the mirror and you realize, wow, this isn't the way it looked 10 years ago or five years ago. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. See, it's a, it's a matter of perspective. Yeah, this body's gonna grow old, probably gain some weight, You probably have some issues with your health won't be able to hear, won't be able to see. And what Solomon is saying is, that's just part of life. That's what's going to happen. But you know what? If you have your perspective correct, there are some people that are more vital and more alive and more enthusiastic for God when they're old. Because why? They're looking to God. They're looking to Christ. They're looking to the Lord himself to sustain them. They're not looking to some miracle pill in a jar. They're not looking to be blessed by life just for what they have or their material positions or their career or, or family. Because Solomon says, all that's vanity. All that's going to go away. You know, you have to make sure that you have your, your heart and your eyes and your life fixated on the Lord. And then even in verse four, it gets worse. It says, and the doors. On the street or shut. What's that? That's referring to the outside world. That's saying basically your ears are going to eventually fail you. When the sound of grinding is low, in other words, you're going to have a reduced access to the outside world. You're going to start losing your hearing. You won't be able to hear as good. You know, I think of those crazy commercials they have on TV with that guy in the garage. You know, what'd you say? <laughs> What would you say? It's it's just, it's something that's going to happen eventually to all of us. And then it says there, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. In other words, you can't enjoy some of the things that once you could hear, you can't even hear them anymore. And that has a tendency to turn life bitter. You know, when you take someone's ability to, Be involved with the outside world away, whether it's through blindness or whether it's through deafness. I mean, this could be a very, very depressing passage for those who don't walk with God. Verse 5, it says, They're also afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way. Have you ever seen that commercial for the the leaf gutter cover company? And, uh, The guy's about ready to go up on the ladder and the salesman, oh no, you can't go up there. That's too dangerous. Well, that's true. The older you get, the less chances you want to take. And then it says, the almond tree blossoms. Guess what that is? (laughs) I don't have to worry about that because I don't have any hair. But it's talking about your hair turning gray or white. That's going to happen. The almond tree is going to blossom. And then it says... The grasshopper drags itself along. In other words, even the slightest weight, you can, you're going to get to a point where a, a grasshopper is going to be tough for you to, to pick up. You're not going to be able to do the things you used to do. You're not going to be able to lift the way you could lift things before. And then it says there, and desire fails. It talks about sexual desire. The Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, says when the ca- caperberry proves ineffectual. We don't know much about a caper berry, but it had some kind of a uh, um, ability to stimulate the body. And they said, even that's not gonna help you eventually. Our world lives for all that. I mean, our world is fixated on you know, maintaining the health and, and all these things, and we should take care of our, our physical bodies, there's no doubt about that, but eventually, it's gonna give way. And I don't care what you put on your face or, or what kind of oil you use or what kind of you know, cosmetics or whatever, eventually you're going to look old. It's just the way it is. As a matter of fact, when an old person doesn't look old, to me, they just look weird. They just look odd. And then it says, because man is going to his eternal home. See, our world lives for all this, but eventually it's all going to end. We're all going to go to their eternal home. And the the mourners go about the streets. And then look at what it says. Before the silver cord is snapped. What in the world is that? It's kind of weird to have a cord made out of silver. Or the next phrase. Or the golden bowl is broken. I mean, to have a bowl literally made out of gold. That's that's a pretty excellent thing. That's a pretty expensive thing. If you had a cord made out of silver. Silver. And what Solomon is telling us here is no matter how excellent or good life may seem, you may have arrived at the mountaintop. What are you going to do when it all comes tumbling down? What are you going to do when the cord made out of silver is snapped? Or the golden bowl that you value so much is broken? See, if you put your trust just in that, you don't have anything left. And then it continues there, it says, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Has the idea of someone going to gather water and they drop the pitcher and it, 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 it smashes. Well, you have no more means to get the water. He says, or the wheel is broken at the cistern. When you go to the well and you crank the little wheel and the, the pot goes to the bottom, well, guess what? If that wheel breaks, that pot is going to be smashed on the bottom of that well. It's really, Solomon is using ancient symbolism here to remind us that one day it won't be like today. One day all these things will happen. One day, if they haven't already, difficult times will come. And so what he's telling us is to remember your Creator now. Remember your Creator now. So that joy will not be gone when you are old or older. I mean, age is a depressing prospect apart from a vital relationship with the Lord. I mean, the way I look at aging is, you know what, I'm just one more day, one more breath closer to glory. So we see here to remember our relationship to God, first of all, because he's our creator. Secondly, because there's going to be difficult times that come. But then thirdly, he says, because death will end our opportunities. This is what he says here in verse 7. Look, it's pretty blunt. It says, and dust returns to the earth as it was. In other words, death is going to come. You're not going to prevent it. You can count on it, as a matter of fact. One day, unless the Lord returns, you will die. You will give up your last breath, and your body will be returned to the earth as dust. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed life into, uh, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And we know what the scripture says. In Genesis three nineteen: For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You hear that at funerals all the time. Or in Job 34, verses 14 and 15. It says, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Or Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. See, we don't need to think too highly of ourselves. We're dust, and you know what? We're made out of dust, and one day we're going to return to dust. No matter how good or no matter how excellent your life may seem, it's going to come to an end. almost acknowledge so much in Psalm 104, verse 9, he says, you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. That's, that's what our life will end up like. And then it says there in the second half of that verse, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Speaking of the, the human spirit, you know you can't run away from this. It has the idea that one day you will be before God once again. You're going to be held accountable for what you do in this life. You can't escape death. You can't escape our accountability before a holy God. But we can use today to remember him and to live for him tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. And so he wants us to see here we need to remember our relationship to God because he's our creator, because difficult times will come, because death will end our opportunities. You know, we may think that we have grandiose plans for next year or next month even. And James tells us, don't do that. Don't make those kind of plans. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Live each day to the fullest. As long as you're breathing, your heart's beating, you use that time for the the glory of God. Because one day, it will stop. And you won't breathe again. Your body will return to the dust. But then fourthly here, he says in verse 8, because all earthly pursuits are meaningless apart from God. Apart from God. That's a very important thing to say there. He says in verse 8 vanity of vanity, says the preacher, speaking of Solomon, all is vanity. Literally, all is vanity, everything. There's not something on this earth that's not vanity. He repeats it seven times chapter 1, verse 2, 14, chapter 2, 11, and 17, chapter 3, verse 19, chapter 11, verse 8, here in verse 8 of chapter 12. And so he says, everything that we do in this life is vanity. But then he says, at the end there, all is vanity. In other words, they're not only vanity individually, but even when you put them all together, it's still vanity. All life has to offer is empty. It's meaningless. It's worthless. See, outside of the Lord, what's what's your purpose? You don't have one. See, but when things are going well, when we're doing pretty good here on this, on this earth, we have a tendency to forget our relationship with the Lord. We need to remember Him by putting Him first in our lives. And we, we tend to forget that. We forget to remember our relationship with the Lord because we get so caught up in the things of the world. And what Solomon is saying, don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't forget that. Don't pursue the things of the world. It's, it's vanity. Now that doesn't mean you don't have some things and have a house. And I, It's not speaking of that way, but it's talking a full press investment in this world. And there's people that live like that. They don't have any time for God. They don't care about their creator and they're gonna forge their own path here on this earth and climb their mountain and, and make it all the way to the top only to find out that, you know what, they're gonna end up like a pile of dust and everything they have is gonna be left behind. And if they don't have their priorities right, they're gonna be in a world of hurt, frankly. Don't do that, he says. Because it's easy to get sucked into pursuing the things of this world. We have pressure every day through all the media, through TV, through radio, everything. Everybody's advertising something. It really irritates me sometimes. You know, you listen to even, even conservative talk show hosts, and I know they have to fund their programs and everything, but it's just so irritating. They're always pushing something. You know, if it's not a pillow, it's it's some other device or something that, oh, they just swear by it. You know, they probably don't even own it. But we get sucked into that. We begin believing that. So we start pursuing success, and we start pursuing our career and we're not satisfied with anything and money, more money, more achievements, materialism. See, there's a a tendency in everyone's heart to do just what Moses warned the children of Israel not to do before they went into Canaan. He warned them. He said, hey, when you get in there, do not forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. See, it's easy to remember the Lord when times are down. Or when you're pressed or when you're going through a health issue or when you're dealing with financial crisis or marital issues or your kids are gone astray, it's easy to remember the Lord. Then oh, then you want the help of the Lord. But boy, when everything's going well, what do we do? We go full press in the opposite direction and we invest ourselves into this world to the point where the world gets us. It has a hold on us. Just like Moses told the children of Israel, watch out. Because when you think everything is doing fine and you're just on the top of your game and you don't have a need in the world, that's when you need to remember your creator. That's when you need to remember your relationship with the Lord. Colossians, Paul writes in chapter three, verses one to three, listen to this. He says, if you have been raised with Christ or since you have been raised with Christ, he's talking to the church at Colossae, He says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds, in other words, fix your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's what Paul tells us to do. He commands us to do it. And then he says in verse 3, why is he telling us to do this? He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's he saying? This is not your home down here. You're just passing through. So don't put your tent stakes down too deep in the ground. Don't make too much of an investment in all the stuff because eventually what's gonna happen? It's all gonna burn. One day you're gonna die. You're gonna be a pile of dust going back to the dirt that you were made out of. We all will. And the only thing that's gonna last is what we do for the Lord, what we do for his kingdom, what we do for eternity. So we need to remember our relationship with the Lord. Well, secondly, the second point here in our outline tonight is to realize our reliance upon God and his wisdom. Realize our reliance upon God and his wisdom. Look at what he says in verses nine and 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. I remember reading that verse in Bible college and I thought, boy, this is a good verse to just have to take a break. You know, there's there's weariness in much study. Well, that's not really what it's saying and we'll talk about that in a second, but I've heard a lot of students declare just that. But we need to realize our reliance upon God and his wisdom. We don't want to trust in our own wisdom. We don't want to trust in our own abilities. We want to put our faith, our trust in God. In verse nine, there we see see this in the intensity of his teaching. Notice the word weighing there. It has the idea of pondering. It, it, it has the kind of the implication of making careful uh, evaluations, careful calculations. You're not just doing this willy nilly. You know, sometimes I. I, I get so uh, upset with believers. You know, I'll ask them, well, do you, do you read your Bible? Oh, yeah, I, I, I read it, you know, on Sundays when the pastor's preaching. Would well, you read it any other time? Well, not really. Or yeah, once in a while I'll open it up and just see what God has for me. So they'll play like Bible roulette and open up the Bible and point to a verse and just read it and do it that way. That's not intense study. That's not weighing, that's not pondering that's not evaluating what the word of God says. But secondly, he says not only weigh it, but he says study, studying it. It shows that he invested diligent study, diligent research. He was willing to put in the time till he understood what he had to understand. And then it says arranging or setting an order. It's, it's a phrase that talks about skillful presentation. In other words, you've pondered it, you've studied it, and now you're, you're, you're laying it out in an orderly fashion. Kind of like when you read through the book of Proverbs. When you read through the book of Proverbs, it's very pithy. Every little verse has something strong to say to your heart. By the way, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And so, though Solomon had everything life had to offer, remember who he was, He wasn't some poor pauper off the street. He had everything. He had eaten of nothing. He used, even though that was the truth, he used all of his energy, he says, to go after wisdom. He thought it was that important. He was dedicated to finding and applying and using God's wisdom in his life. So you see it there in the intensity of his teaching. In verse 10, you see it in the impact of his words. The impact of his words. It speaks there of words of delight. It indicates words that are, are pleasing. They're, they're pleasing. They're pleasurable words. And then he says words that are upright, words of truth. They're pure words. You have to have both of those. One commentator, Michael Wheaton, says this. To be upright but unpleasant is to be a fool to be pleasant but not upright is to be a charlatan let me say that again to be upright but unpleasant is to be a fool to be pleasant but not upright is to be a charlatan the point is simply this you need both pleasing or pleasurable words as well as words of truth and so many times we err on one of the other. Either we, we want every word to be so delightful, there's no offense taken to anybody, and so we water everything down. So it's pleasing to the ears, as the New Testament says. That's what we see going on in a lot of our churches today. They're tickling people's ears. They don't want to say anything harsh. They don't want to teach theology because in their view, theology divides people. It doesn't unite people. And we want to be a united church, so we're just not going to teach anything. Well, that's the whole purpose of coming together but you also have to have words of truth. You know, you don't wanna just be all about the truth and say things in an insulting manner. It has to be a balance. You need both of these things. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23, it says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. All of us have benefited from that. When someone, maybe we've been down, maybe we're going through a hard time, and someone comes along and they say, it seems like they say just the right thing. To get our priorities back in order, to get our mind fixed on what's important, or whatever it may be. It makes us have a better day. Proverbs fifteen twenty-six, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. There you see both of them, delightful, gracious words, but truthful words of purity. Proverbs 624. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul. And health to the body. You know, I've known some Christians that, boy, there's so much about the truth, they have no grace at all. And they just they're like a like a shotgun of God's truth. They just walk around blowing people away with God's truth. And that's not fruit of the Spirit. It's joy, it's all those things that that, that Galatians tells us about. You know, just because you have the truth doesn't mean. It gives you the right to go around insulting people with it. That's not even being a good testimony. So we, our words of truth have to be filled with grace. So we see it in the impact of his words, but thirdly here we see it in the importance of his words. He says there in verse 11, there, The words of the wise are like goads. A goad is a long pole with maybe a piece of metal or a stone on the end that they used to use to, uh, they would prod animals along, keep them in order as they are going across the pasture. They didn't want them to get out of line, so they'd use this thing to, you know, it's kind of like now they they have the same thing, a stick, but it's an electrical charge on it, okay? And that kind of jolts the animal back into, into line. But that's the idea here. And it says, and the nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So you see the importance of his words in terms of response, like goads. It's God's word is to be a goad. is to be that stick that gets us moving in the right direction, that keeps us in line. You could say it's kind of like a spiritual kick in the pants. Somebody come along and poking you. That's what we're called to do as we fellowship together as the body of Christ, is it not? We're to kind of, you know, encourage one another on to good works and good deeds. Encourage one another to grow in the Lord. That's why attending church, coming to church, coming out and fellowshipping with other believers is so important. You can't be an island onto yourself. It's just not biblical. And you're limiting what God can do in and through you and, you know, you're not going to find a perfect church. There are no perfect churches because they're made up of sinners. So, you know, you find the, the church that's the best church in your area, Bible-believing church, and you start going and you, you start participating and you use your gifts and your talents and your abilities to serve Christ through that local body. Well, not only in terms of response, but in terms of stability. That's what he's talking about here, nails. That's what nails do. They give a structure, Stability. If you just put walls up using two-by-fours, even if you use glue, but you didn't have any nails or screws holding it together, it wouldn't be very sturdy. It wouldn't have any stability. See, we need the Word of God to make us stable in life. We won't have any stability as people or even as Christians without the Word of God being a priority. So in terms of response, in terms of stability, but then also look at what he says, by one shepherd. This speaks of terms of authority. They're given by one shepherd. In other words, we have to understand the Lord's authority in our lives. We're not our own people. We've been bought with a price, the Bible says. So many times we think, well, we got saved, our sins are forgiven, so we're just going to go live for ourselves. Well, we're not called to do that. As a matter of fact, the very call to salvation that Jesus made to us makes that very clear. He says, if you want to be my disciple, what do you have to do? Number one, you have to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, I don't know of anybody that likes to deny themselves of anything. It's never fun to deny yourself. But you know what? That's what we're called to do. And then it says, take up your cross, an instrument of death. That wasn't something you wore around your neck. That was literally an instrument of death. So what what Jesus was saying was you need to deny yourself to the point of death. You need to put to death all of your desires when you come to me. And he fills them with other desires. It's not like you don't have any more desires. I mean, every day my, my life is filled with the desire to be pleasing to the Lord in the way I live, in the way I serve, in the way I minister. I pray that God would somehow use me. But I do that because I understand that Jesus is not just my friend. He's my Lord. And I need to understand what he tells me to do. And then I need to obey it. That's what we're called to do as believers. Remember, we're not, we're not the shepherds. We're the sheep. We get this turned around sometimes in our own thinking. See, we're the people of his pasture, as we read earlier. Remember the psalm, the Lord is what? My shepherd I shall not want. We're not the shepherds. We're not the one making the call and the shots here. We're just sheep. (laughs) Sheeples, and we're just following what the Lord tells us to do. Well, in terms of responsibility, authority, last thing here, verse 12, in terms of comparison, or you could say priority, it says in verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and of much study is a weariness of the flesh. What's he doing? He's not saying here, he's not making the statement that you shouldn't read anything. A lot of kids take this verse and they say, oh, see, I don't have to read. <laughs> the Bible says that you know, there is no end and it's weariness, it, it, it has no meaning. That's not what he's saying. I mean, I'm sure Solomon read a lot But what he says is beware of anything above these, beyond these. In other words, there's no end to what you could read. And you could just keep reading and reading and reading. But you know what? In comparison to God's word, it's just going to be wearisome. It's not going to help you. If you're looking for God's wisdom, you need to look to his word. We need to let the word of God admonish us. We need to let the word of God teach us. You know, He's not saying you shouldn't study other material. He's not saying that at all. But we should, in comparison, we should be studying the word of God more than we study any other book. It's kind of like in the New Testament when Jesus was talking about the love that we should have for him. Remember in the Gospels, he said, you know what, your love for me should be so much that in comparison, the love that you have for your own father, your mother, your brother, your sister should look like hate. Now, people get confused about that. They say, why would Jesus tell us to hate our family members? He's not telling us to hate our family members. What he's saying is, your love for me, in comparison to your love for your own family, should make the love for your family look like hate. That's how much more the love we should have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same thing here. What Solomon is pointing out is, hey, there's nothing wrong with reading other books. But you know what? If you're not reading the book, if you're not reading the word of God, if you're not putting the, the word and the truth of God in your heart and in your mind on a daily basis, then you're missing it. You know, I know some Christians, that they probably read more, novels and history books and everything else, than they do the Bible. It shouldn't be that way. Do you study the Bible more than any other book in your life? I pray you do. You should be, if you're a follower of Christ. It's the most important book in our lives. It's a living book. It's God's Word. It's how God speaks to our hearts. It's how God builds us up. He edifies us. That's what's so sad about so many... Churches today, they take the Bible and they set it aside. They don't even teach out of it anymore. It's the most important book that we could ever study. And we need to be willing to invest the time, invest the effort, understand what the Word of God is telling us. It's really a challenge to recognize the importance of Of God's wisdom above everything else. That's really what he's saying. So, first two points here. Remember our relationship to God in verses 1 to 8. Secondly, 9 to 12. To realize our reliance upon God and his wisdom. But then lastly here, verses 13 and 14. To recognize our responsibility before God. Recognize our responsibility before God. In verse 13 he says, The end of the matter... All has been heard. In other words, hey, the show's over. If I had to summarize the entire book, this is what Solomon's doing. Here's what it is. First of all, fear God, and then keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Interesting. He boils his whole 12 chapters down to that one statement. Fear God, keep his commandments. You notice the order of those words. Fear God, then keep his commandments. We don't want to get those mixed up. It's very important we understand that. You know, it's important to understand that conduct must always flow out of our worship of God. Conduct must always flow out of our worship of God. It has to flow out of our vertical relationship with God. That's why a lot of people struggle with obedience in their Christian lives because it doesn't flow out of a vertical relationship with God. Well where does it flow out of? It flows out of a horizontal relationship with the people around them. They're trying to please the parents. They're trying to please the, the, the officials. They're trying to please the people in the church. They're trying to. So what do they do? They just comply. They live a life of compliance. So you end up with people that come to church and they comply, okay. They know that in church you probably shouldn't smoke, so they're not going to smoke. Probably shouldn't drink, so they're not going to drink. Probably shouldn't cuss, so they're not going to cuss. What do they do? They change their behavior. They're like a chameleon. They come in and they comply. But then they leave, and what happens? Their whole life changes. Their whole lifestyle changes. Sometimes you, you see people in certain situations where you wish you didn't see them. And you're thinking, boy, what is that that person doing? You know, whether it's coming out of a bar, or they're doing this, or they're doing that, and you're thinking, man, they were just in church on Sunday. See, they're, they're living the Christian life based on a horizontal plane, not a vertical one. Because I doubt very much if they understand what it means to worship God in a vertical relationship. They're they're basically just complying to the rules. They're a rule follower. Usually they're very legalistic in the way they look at things. See, a knowledge of God leads to obedience. You have to get that right. You fear God, and out of that fear of God then comes keeping his commandments. Because if you don't fear God but you keep his commandments, well, you're not gonna be able to do it anyway because nobody can, but you can claim to. And what is that? That's just a prideful person. It's just a prideful person. So sometimes we want to use legalistic tactics or legalism to make people conform and obey. It doesn't work. You know, that's why as believers, we shouldn't look down our spiritual noses at those who are not Christians yet And what they do and how they behave and everything. Why wouldn't we think they would behave that way? They're sinners. They're a slave to their sin. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. That's why it's contingent upon us to go out and give them the gospel. To share with them the life-giving message of hope in Christ. Hope of forgiveness. Hope of transformation. Hope of restoration. In your relationship to the creator of your youth. That's what we're called to do. So worship always precedes conduct if done biblically, if done correctly. But first of all here, verse 13, it says, it gives meaning to our lives. It says, this is the whole duty of man. God's wisdom applies to every person. See, conduct that is pleasing to God must always flow out of worship and knowledge of God. That's what he's saying. And that's what gives our life meaning. You know, can you imagine just living your life for yourself? Just for yourself, with no purpose, no accountability before God. Oh wait, there's a lot of people doing that in the streets. I mean, All these rioters. I mean, they're, they're just doing what they want to do. You know, there's no cause behind their, their anger and their frustration. The root cause is sin. The death of someone is just an excuse. That's all it is. Why? Because they don't have any meaning in life. They're just living for themselves. Everything is different when you're committed to serving the Lord. Everything. It's a, like a filter that everything passes through. You can't just go out and do whatever you want. Why? Because you're, you're concerned. Is this going to be pleasing to the Lord? Is this going to be honoring to the Lord? So it gives meaning to our lives, and then here in verse 14, it prepares you to meet God, because one day, trust me, you will meet God. We all will. And what we do on this side of glory depends where we will meet God. Will we meet God in heaven? Or will we meet God in heaven? and his wrath in hell. Because trust me, he is in both places. He's everywhere. People think that hell's going to be some vacation with you know, all their buddies down there partying and partying. No, it's not. It's going to be utter darkness. It's going to be utter punishment for your sin. Trust me, you do not want to go to that place. It's a horrible place. You don't have to. Because Christ came to this earth to prepare you to meet God. He came to this earth and he died on a cross and he said, you know what, I'm going to take your sins upon me even though I'm a perfect individual. I never committed one sin, but I'm going to hang on a cross and be treated as if I had committed every sin of every person who would ever put their faith and trust in me for salvation. That could be you. If you haven't trusted Christ, I pray I plead with you to call out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because he says right there in verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment. All this chaos we've seen going on around us, I get frustrated, I watch the news, and boy, I, I just lose it sometimes. But you know what? In the end, God's going to set things right. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, we, our hearts should be breaking for these people, because they don't have any purpose. They're outside of Christ. They're all mixed up in the head. They had all kinds of issues going on. Why, because they, they lost the vision of the Creator. They lost who God is, and that's why Christ left us here on this earth, to give them that message that can possibly reconnect them, to reconcile them to their God and Creator. But every deed will be brought into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What's he saying? He's saying basically, you know what? In the end, God's gonna have his say. You're not gonna get away with nothing. You just can't think that way. I mean, you may get away with it here. There's a lot of people that get a lot of away with a lot of stuff here. But in the end, they're not getting away with it. Psalm 147, 11 says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. You know what would bring our country together? You know what would bring our country back to its roots? would be a healthy dose of the fear of God. That people would begin to fear God once again. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of authority. That's why you see all this chaos going on. Only those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are prepared to meet him in the end. And by the way, you're also prepared to live this life in light of the wisdom that Solomon has graced us with as we've studied through this book. I pray, if you're listening and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, I pray today might be the day that you come to the end of yourself and you realize, you know what, Lord? There's nowhere else I can turn. There's no one else who has died for my sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit myself to you. You cry out to God and you ask him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when that's prayed from a sincere heart, he'll answer you. And he'll make you a brand new person. And that burden of guilt and sin that you've been carrying will be gone. He will take it from you, willingly. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Solomon. We thank you for his wisdom and his ability to communicate your truth to our hearts. Lord, it's been a delight to spend this time together in the study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom as to the next book that we're gonna go through. Uh, I know we're gonna be doing a video series for a couple weeks, but um, we'll get back into the study of your scriptures in a couple of weeks. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would apply this truth to our heart, our lives. And do, I do pray for those who may not know you. I pray that you would draw them to yourself as only you can, cause them to turn from their sin, turn to the Savior, ask for forgiveness. Lord, that's, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing when you see someone that comes to the end of themselves only to be lifted out of the, the pit of sin by the gracious hand of Christ. So Father, we pray for this week. Pray that you would go before us, keep us all safe. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.